Hello everybody, it's Michelle here. I hope you're having a wonderful day. You know what, here in mid-Michigan, it is an absolutely gorgeous day. For those of you who are not familiar with this neck of the the earth, um, you know, for as much as we have some issues in the winter with snow, um, it is a, a gorgeous place to be in the summer. Um, the sun is out. The, the trees are, are just beautiful. Uh, here, when I'm done recording this, I'm actually going to go take a walk. I'm so looking forward to that. So I hope that wherever you are and whatever you're doing today, that you can find some small piece of your world that you can just sit back and, and enjoy. All right. So Today I'm going to talk about something maybe a little bit different. Uh, I, I want to share a certain perspective that, that I have, uh, a certain way of thinking. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to talk about the definition of help. Okay, so knowing that words have power. Um, when we have a word, so take the word help, right? Everybody has a certain definition of that word. So, for example, typically what happens is we say, um, you know, my definition of help is blank. And what they insert in that is how they want to be helped. Okay, so throughout your uh, experience in life, you kind of develop that this is how I like to be helped. So some people, they like other people to do things for them. So, um Typically, you know, uh, a mom is going to say, hey, I'd like to be helped when you, you know, do a load of laundry, right? Um, other people, they like to be helped by being supported and encouraged and listened to, okay? We all have our kind of default setting as far as help goes. And so what I want to key you in on today in this area of thinking is what is your definition of help? And I also want to help you understand that your definition of help that you typically see for yourself is usually what is applied to other people. So for example, if you see another person in need, then you try to apply your definition of help. Okay. So I'm going to share three different examples with you. And then I'm going to talk about uh, a little bit about how you go about this changing your definition of help. All right. So the first story is really from my childhood. Uh, if you followed my work for any length of time, you understand I didn't have the greatest of childhoods. Um, we had some issues. Uh, my parents did everything they could with what they had and what they knew. Okay. They did the very best that they could. And honestly, at the place that I am in my life, I am grateful for the experiences I had because it turned me into who I am. Now, that being said, there is no place in this world for child abuse, neglect, emotional neglect, things like that. Okay. I'm not condoning that. I'm just saying I've reached the point in my life when I can be grateful for that. Now, when we were kids, um, there was one point, I think I was like eight, nine, maybe 10, and we were going through a rough patch. Uh, my, my dad was working overtime. He was doing the best that he could. He just couldn't make ends meet. Um, and we had a fridge that basically died. 
right? And somehow the school found out that we didn't have a working fridge. And so all the teachers got together and they put their money together and, and a couple of them went to the store and they bought a new fridge and they had it delivered to our house. Now, that's a wonderful thought, right? And here's what happened. During that time, and the school didn't know this, but during that time, my dad's uh, dad was actually um, going through a process where we thought he was going to pass away. Um, he was going to die. And so um, it had been almost two years since we had been back to Tennessee to see the family because if you don't have money for food, you don't have money for gas to, to take that long trip. And so the concern was, can we do something that's going to get us there? And so my father, when he saw that refrigerator, he didn't see, oh, here's an answer to this, this refrigerator problem. He thought, aha, here's the answer to my real problem. And so what he did was he took the refrigerator back, he got the money, and then we went to Tennessee to see family. Now, the value there was, and was you know, I'm going to take care of the real problem, right? And his thinking was, somehow we'll get a new fridge. We've, we've worked it out up until this point, but we won't have another opportunity to go see family. Now, the second example I'm going to share with you actually comes from my mentor, Paul Martinelli. Now, Paul Martinelli is, um, if, if you just do a Google search on him, you're going to find out that he's wildly successful, like in the top 30 entrepreneurs of the whole world, right? I think he was just nominated recently as the, the number one coach in the whole world. Um, and he's the president of the John Maxwell team. So there's, you know, just under 30,000 of us on the team that he helps coach and mentor. He's built several multi-million dollar businesses. And one thing you need to know about Paul Martinelli is that he never graduated high school. Now, he, he had a, a rough childhood as well, came from a, a family of poverty, um, experienced abuse, you know, with his mother. Um, he was the youngest of, uh, I believe, four children. Uh, and he got to basically high school, early high school, and the, the educators, the principal, pulled him and his mom in and basically said, um, ma'am, it's time to cut your losses. <laughs> He's not fit for school. And so uh, Paul basically quit school and um, he struggled for a bit and found a bunch of odd jobs, you know, um, roofing and, and that kind of thing. Um, and he, he really struggled in life. And some might look at Paul and say, hmm, the best way to help him would be for him to graduate high school. And then the third example I'm going to share with you is actually from uh, my trip to Paraguay. So one of the things that happened when I was there, I went into a classroom. There were about 23 sixth graders. And in this classroom, I realized very quickly they had about six pencils to share between the 23 kids. Now, some people might look at that and go, oh my gosh, this, has, this needs to be fixed, right? When I looked at it and I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, ideally it would be nice that everybody has a pencil, right? However, this is a very collective culture. They share everything. 
just the act of sharing these pencils in the classroom became a, um, a cultural and relational act, and they were happy to do so. Okay, so, so let me break a couple of these things down. So first of all, um, in the first example with the, the teachers, they had a lot of assumptions, right? And, and honestly, they, they got really angry and upset that my father sold the fridge. So their definition of help was, I'm going to get you this fridge. Whereas my father had a very different definition. Okay. In, in Paul's scenario, the definition of help, if you looked at that would be, okay, I'm going to, you know, help you go back to school. I'm going to give you a loan to get you back on your feet. Hey, can I help you, you know, find a, a place to live while you're, you're trying to figure out your job situation. However, Paul would not, and he'll tell you this himself, he would not have become the person he is today without that very great struggle. Okay, he needed that struggle to be able to know what am I going to do next? You know, his first company was a cleaning company that he started and it was basically, you know, somebody gave him a loan of two, $250, okay? But he didn't just take that money and go buy, you know, food or whatever. He's, he invested, he made the decision. He went out and he bought, I believe he said, um, a, a bucket, um, some towels and a vacuum and some cleaning liquid and just started going out and basically going to a business and saying, Hey, can I help you clean? Okay. And he turned that into a multi-million dollar company. But without the struggle, he will admit to you, he would not be the person he is today. So what typically happens is that our, our society, and I say our meaning, you know, I know that there are listeners outside of the United States and this may apply to you as well. Um, typically here in the United States, there is this kind of thinking of when I see somebody who's struggling, I need to help them not struggle. I see this a lot in education, you know, when, when a child is struggling, like let's help them. Right. Or as a, uh, I work a lot with parents and, and their child may be struggling to, uh, get their coat on if they're, they're young. And so the parents will just do it for them. Okay. There is a holiness in that struggle. Okay. Now the third example in Paraguay with the pencils, uh, many folks that, that kind of went down to Paraguay with me and were helping to train, um, had this idea of, oh man, you know, if I just had all these pencils and, and these school supplies and like, oh, I want to come back and I want to like give them all this stuff. And I was like, huh, that's a huge assumption that that is what they need. And when I went in, I was thinking, you know what? My job is not to give them more pencils. My job is to model for them this leadership curriculum and how they can tune into an idea right? How they can make a decision that can actually change their life. Which is more helpful, a pencil or an idea that can change your life? See, the more that I think about this idea of, you know, the definition of help, the more I realize that most people, they say they want the solution to a problem. However, they really focus on the problem and not the solution. 
and they don't understand what's happening. They come from a place of assuming what they know is going to be helpful. They do that. They don't get the solution. And then they continue to kind of be in this cycle. All right. If you um, check out two authors, if you really want to dig deep into this, Wallace D. Waddles, so that's W-A-T-T-L-E-S, Wallace D. Waddles, he wrote a very short um, piece. If you look it up online, I think you can actually download it for free. I think that's what I did. It's called The Science of Getting Rich. In there, he has a saying, and I use it a lot, uh, the poor do not need more money. They need more inspiration. Now, you know, I think about my dad with that, with that fridge. Um, yeah, in that moment, he needed the money to get to see family. When we, were, when we took that family trip, he had got more inspiration in his life. So when he came back, he figured out a new way to get a new fridge. When Paul was struggling throughout all those years, he had a couple mentors come and say, hey, man, let, let me help you mentor in, you know, several books. And they didn't give him money. They gave him inspiration. When I went down to Paraguay, I didn't bring pencils. I didn't bring crayons. I'm not going to give you money. However, let me show you how simple it is to have an idea. Okay. The work of Viktor Frankl, F-R-A-N-K-L. So he wrote Man's Search for Meaning. So Viktor Frankl was um, a psychologist and he was writing his theory of psychology of life, I guess, um, right when World War II broke out. And he went into a concentration camp and um, he still was kind of working on that theory when he was in the camp. He actually tried to write it, I believe it was three times, and it got stolen and um, from the guards every time. And so when he got out, he wrote it again. And his time in the concentration camp really colored his thinking on this theory. And, you know, one thing that, that many educators know, because uh, this is something that's really drilled into us from the time that we go to teaching school is this idea of, if you want to look it up, you can, there's Bloom's taxonomy, which basically says, you know, here's a, a pyramid for how to get students thinking, right? So there's levels of thinking. So you go from, you know, giving them some, some knowledge and a, and a student telling you some knowledge back all the way up to, you know, like inference and, um, you know, just being able to pull ideas out without um, somebody telling you what they are. Okay. And I know I'm making that very oversimplistic. So those of you who know about Bloom's taxonomy, you don't have to write me. I'm just trying to communicate this in a way that other people might understand simply. Okay. And then there's another idea that talks about, um, Maslow, and, and he's not necessarily just in uh, education. If you go through personal growth and development of any kind, you'll know that Maslow talks about his hierarchy of needs. So what he says is that um, at the bottom of the pyramid, you basically have to have your physical needs met, right? You've got to be able to have, you know, food, shelter, and clothing. 
then you can go up to the higher levels with the highest level being what he calls self-actualization. So living out your full potential. Okay. So the idea that many educators have is you can't do the Bloom's taxonomy, which is the, you know, the thinking and, and learning stuff without first going through the Maslow stuff. So their idea is you can't um, learn or grow or become your full self unless you have all of those physical needs met. So from this theory um, is based pretty much our foundation of education. And so there is a definition of help that it has been created over time. And uh, you'll notice this if you go into any uh, public school in the United States on a standardized testing day, one thing you'll notice is that everybody gets free breakfast. <laughs> everybody gets snacks throughout the day. Um, and this is because of this theory. You know, I want to make sure that you're fed so that you can do your thinking part. Now, again, I'm making this very simplistic and I'm, I'm not saying it's not true. However, if you study Viktor Frankl's work, he will share with you ideas about how people became their true self, their higher self, even in a concentration camp. He will tell you about how there were folks who were able to be kind, considerate, um, people of character, people who were learning life lessons, right? Who were becoming their uh, authentic self, even when they had no food, no good shelter, and very little clothing. So I say this because the definition of help determines on the theory you believe. And then your actions come from your definition of help. So your assumptions lead to your actions. Okay. Just like those teachers assumed we needed a fridge. That was our overall all goal, right? Just like my partners assumed, oh, these kids aren't going to be able to learn because they don't have pencils. Well, clearly the, the people we were working with showed them differently. At least me. Okay. So don't assume that removing somebody's struggle helps them. That's really what I want to get at right now. So I, I say this because, uh, you know, growing up the way that I did, um, I often went to school hungry. I often, um, you know, didn't necessarily have uh good clothes, right? I remember walking to school often with um, not enough clothes for in the wintertime. Um, I remember hanging out at, at the school as long as I could, hoping, you know, that somebody would give me something to eat. But I got to tell you, I had excellent grades because that was a priority to me. I had teachers who really spurred me on um, and not just you're doing great in school, but they had conversations with me about life especially as I got into high school, there were some, some trusted advisors that helped me think through things. Okay. I did not have everything I needed. I didn't have all my physical needs met. However, I was still inspired to go and do something greater. Okay. So when you remove the assumption about what's going to help and you ask the other person, how can I help you? 
that does the other person a world of good because they might give you an idea and you're like, oh my gosh, I never would have thought that would be a help, right? See, I, I really want to get this through to you. So the quote by Emerson that where your focus goes, your energy flows. When you focus on helping people with your assumption of what help means, that's where your energy goes, right? But you may be missing something. So if you back up and you say, hmm, help me understand this, what would be helpful to you? Or perhaps asking the person, what's your plan? How are you going to handle this? What are you going to do? Okay. See, I fully, fully believe that every single person has the resources that they need right now in order to be successful. We focus in general, people focus on circumstances and situations. Now, though, for those of you who follow this podcast, we're thinkers, right? Yeah, we're change your thinking, change your life. So when you look at your circumstances and your conditions, you're looking at the problem. You're not looking at the solution. Okay. The, I love this quote for, by James Allen in As a Man Thinketh. He says, the outer world of circumstance shapes itself to the inner world of thought and both pleasant and unpleasant external conditions are factors which make for the ultimate good of the individual as the reaper of his own harvest man learns both by suffering and bliss i love that and he really talks a lot about cause and effect and and so when we're talking about the definition of help your definition of help, your thinking, your own theory that you've developed based on your experiences is the cause. The effect is the action that comes from that. So if you really want to be influential with other people that you notice that they're struggling and help in the best way possible, you've got to change the cause, which is your thinking which is your definition of help. So if you see a three-year-old who's struggling to get their coat on, you could simply ask, uh, you know, is there some way that I can help you? See what they say. If you see a family struggling in need and that they need a new refrigerator, you could say, hey, is there anything I can do to help you? If you see a, a student who's struggling in school and you know what, they might not make this journey to, to graduate. What would happen if you asked them, what do you want to do with your life and how can I help you do that? Rather than assuming that they have to graduate. Okay. If you go to a foreign country and you see they don't have pencils, well, what could you do? How could you inspire them? You see what I'm saying here? Good leaders are able to ask great questions that give you the data you need that overrides your assumptions so that you can have the most influence and impact. So rather than focusing on that problem, focusing on the solution of moving that person forward. But listen, it's not your job to move that person forward. 
Every single person in this world is on a journey and you are not their guide. Okay. As much as I love and appreciate my audience and you guys are are amazing. You continually show up. I think we just uh, passed 2,500 listeners on our podcast and I think we're up to 25 countries. It's amazing. I so appreciate that. I realize it's my job to come and bring you things to think about. I am responsible to you for that. I am not responsible for you though. You are responsible for listening taking that to heart and doing something with it. Okay. When your definition of help involves you coming in and doing something or giving something to somebody else, especially when you haven't checked your assumptions or asked a question, you are now not in the helpful zone. You are, what you're doing is you're taking away inner resources and possibly a struggle from someone where they could grow. Okay, so don't uh, assume that you removing their struggle is helping. Sometimes what what happens is, you know, I I think about this with with my kids. We've, uh, now that they're getting a little older, um, we've got one in elementary school, one in middle school, and one going into high school. There's all kinds of stuff that they want to do, right? Um, there's band, there's Boy Scouts, there's Josiah's um, going into driver's education. Um, there's a lot happening. And every time I turn around, somebody wants money for something, right? And I realized that this is a, a normal process. Um, but I realized several years ago, you know what, this is something that's going to happen for many years. And I don't want to be the bank of mom, right? Where I'm just giving out money. And so we began to, with some of these things, uh, especially if it's not related to school, so an extra thing, if they wanted to do something, I began asking the question, how are you going to make that happen? What's your plan to get the money for that? And you know, at first it was, well, you're my parents, you should do this. And I'm like, "Mm, no, not necessarily. And then one of the kids said, well, you have the money. Why don't you just give it to me? And I'm like, well, you know what? This is a life thing. And so now it's interesting because um, when my son comes to me and he says, hey, listen, uh, I'm thinking about doing this with my friends this weekend. It's going to cost about, you know, this much money. Um, Is there there anything that you need me to do here, either around the house or in your business where I could make some money? I love that. I mean, think about that. For a 14-year-old to be in that frame of mind, what do you think is going to happen when he graduates and he goes off into life? He's going to be able to do that, right? He's going to be able to see that, hey, I want something and I have all the resources inside me to make it happen. And what's my plan? And he'll be able to figure it out. So there are some times when I just kind of, you know, want to like give money to the kids. And sometimes I do, but other times I know just giving them that is not going to be helpful. See, I've changed the definition of help. Help as a mom isn't giving them money. True help as their mom is help helping them to think and supporting and encouraging their growth and development. Does that make sense? Okay, so I mean, I'm not going to 
stay here much longer. And, and I know that if I do, I'm going to get really, really passionate about this. This is something that has become a passion of mine. Um, I just want people to think, okay? So as you're going through this next few days, especially, just be really um, keyed into this idea of a definition of help. You may even want to sit down and have some thinking time of your own and for yourself say, you know what, what is helpful to me? What do I really appreciate when people help me? Right? And that is kind of keying in on your assumption of the definition of help, right? And then, you know, look at the people around you in your personal life and ask yourself, when I help them, what do I do? Or what do I say? And then you might want to think, okay, well, uh, for example, if I'm, I'm doing this for my husband, when I'm helpful with him, what do I do? Well, I know with him, um, he's a guy that appreciates uh, physical touch uh, and words of encouragement. And so when I see that he's getting all worked up about something, I'll just kind of walk over close to him and put my hand on his shoulder, maybe gently rub his back. I'm listening, right? I'm not trying to uh, dismiss his problem, but I'm also trying to diffuse those emotions around it. And then I'll ask him questions. And he always is able to come out of it and feel better for that. Now, I've learned that over time. For me, if he came up and he did the same thing, it might not have the same effect. Okay, so our definition of help is a little bit different. Okay, and if you don't know what your loved one's definition is, ask them. You could just say, hey, listen, you know, um, when you're upset, what is something that I do that's really helpful to you? Or what would you like me to do? Okay, so really what you're doing is you're trying to examine your assumptions in this area, gather some data, and maybe make a change. I don't know if you need to change or not. Maybe, maybe not. Okay, but how do you know if you don't think about it? All right, so I know that that was quite a bit. Uh, thank you so much, especially if you're still listening to this. I, I appreciate you kind of hanging out and listening to me uh, today. So um, as always, please uh, connect with me. You can connect on social media. You can email me at michelle at growbyone.com. Um, I would love to hear from you. Um, happy thinking. Awesome. We'll, we'll catch you next time. Okay, bye-bye.